Hello and welcome to In Development, the podcast where we chat to indie game devs about their game and their journey into game development. My name is Kim and this is episode two. In this episode, we are chatting with Simon Boxer of Twice Different. Simon considers himself an all-round artist that originally specialised in illustration. Hi Simon, how are you? I'm good. I am energised and ready to talk to you about all things games. That is great. And I'd like to say thank you for joining me today as you must be super busy because you're about to head off to GDC. How are you feeling about that? Um, Yeah, I'm pretty... Well, actually, it it kind of hasn't really dawned on me yet. I've been a few times before and this time we're um, pretty like early... Well, not early, but we're in the prototype stage. So it's not like I have something that we're wanting full feedback or really trying to hustle for connections or anything like that. It's going to be more of a hangout this year. So that should be good, a bit more relaxed. So that means you've actually taken your own products over there before your own games and you've actually showcased them? Uh, We haven't formally showcased, but last year Matt and I, Matt's my programming partner, took an early version of our game Bounce House over to GDC and got a ton of feedback and we were sort of developing while we were there trying to incorporate the feedback and then show people again and because there's so many you know professional and independent developers with a lot of knowledge there that can really help out that we could just keep hitting up for that feedback so that was a pretty intense experience and I guess part of the reason why I'm excited to be going and having a bit more of a relaxed pace this year. But yeah, we we took took up game along last year, and after GDC, sort of completely changed it. And uh, yeah, now that's released, and it was an interesting year or so of development. How does feedback from I guess your peers in in development change, or how does it differ from I guess the user end it's we still mostly consider observations so even if we're showing peers the game we're making all sorts of mental notes about what they're doing like their behaviors and the way they want to use the game and sort of really we wanted to try and test it very frequently like sort of weekly basis and really nail the user experience and testing is the only way you can really do that because people are so unpredictable. But I think in terms of testing, um, both peer like game developers and public uh, people are of equal value for the kind of observations you get. It's just that when you're asking for feedback, developers might have more technical-oriented feedback and the public might be more personal taste kind of thing but I tend to find developers aren't maybe on average aren't as well you'll find more active gamers in the general public is what I'm trying to say is it almost like once you're making games you're gaming less I would say at least for me personally there are a lot of people that well, maybe not a lot, but there are people that make games and don't really play games as well. I think it's just sort of the life transition when maybe the target market, depending on what kind of game you're making, might be skewed to a younger age or a, just a totally different demographic to 
yourself. You just spoke about how your gaming experience has changed since you've become a developer. So when did you first start getting into games? So I was, my, my grandfather actually on my dad's side was really into technology and so really? was my father. Yeah, he, my father was in IT management and my grandfather was sort of like always getting new gadgets and introduced me to the internet and like TC Extra and DOS operating systems probably in the 90s when I was like single figure ages. Wow. <laughs> and would download shareware games. <laughs> like, actually, he was the first person to show me Wolfenstein, which is sort of like, you know, one, one of the first, if not the first FPS that came out. Yeah. And I and he'd regularly get a bunch of different games for us to try. So, yeah, early, early 90s, I was playing games and getting the old, the, the discs and sharing them with friends and yeah. And that's then transferred into wanting to make them? I think so. My passion, I was pretty passionate about art throughout my childhood and uh, it seemed like, like I just dreamt of making graphics for computer games and I thought this is what graphic design was. So I enrolled in graphic design in at university when I finished high school. There weren't really any game development courses per se, uh, at least not in Perth where I grew up. And so this was sort of like the closest thing. I thought about pursuing art and I had the parents that sort of steered you away from, you know, purely artistic. To, uh, it's not going to pay direction. your bills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And into something a bit more commercially viable, which is good. Like I use the graphic design skills nowadays, but it didn't really click in uni, I'd say. And I ended up sort of just pursuing illustration as like a mid-ground. And then that led to you being a concept artist? Yeah. So after university or in the final year of university, actually studying graphic design, I realized that I, well, actually I stumbled across a forum called conceptart.org, which has gone rapidly downhill in the years since but this was sort of the foundation of my my self-taught studies like I realized in the third year of the course that I finally found the name of this job that I wanted the concept artist and sort of just spent a year after uni being a, a basically homebound hermit like doing all these online challenges doing sort of weekly um character of the week or creature of the week paintings trying to get my design skills and my like photoshop skills up to par to be like one of the great the greats that i saw on the forum like kekai kodakai or craig mullins or there was a lot of the really high-end concept artists using this forum and so just constant inspiration and really great source of knowledge like they were very willing to share as well, writing tutorials and whatnot. That's pretty cool. So when, since art is your specialization, I guess, is that your first step when you make your own games? Uh, I'm pretty design skewed when thinking about games. Like it's usually thinking about concepts for games that I like the idea of. Like Bounce House started as we wanted to make a game about 
bouncing children off a bouncy castle. And then it was figuring out how to do that. And the first form was very different to what we released. Other ideas might be things like, I just want to make a game about growing potatoes. Like it's sort of <laughs> an absurd context, uh, absurd idea, but just doing it in a really like thorough tactile kind of way, I think would be cool. And things like that. I've got like a whole list of game ideas that I'm gradually trying to trying to work through and see what's feasible and various different different like uh, areas that they hit. Because I think you want to when you're thinking about what you want to make, it needs to be it needs to have some sort of like commercial sense as well. If you're going to be spending a lot of time on it, and it's got to have like a market available for it. So trying to approach it from what kind of design content I'd like to make, like subject matter or narrative, whether that's an actual narrative or just conceptual narrative that ties together all of the art and uh, mechanics and everything. Yeah, and then also figuring out whether it's, yeah, worth pursuing it. So from a design point of view, like Bounce House was a mobile game. Do you consider the platform that it's going to be released on as well in initial stages? Yeah, definitely. I think we approached mobile at first because it's a, a simpler, like the the standard of games is simplified for touch, well, for multiple reasons, but one is for the touch interface. And the, the gaming demographic is a bit different to PC, but also it's a weird space because it runs heavily on freemium game, uh, free-to-play games, whereas Steam is still very just like retail your game, just sell it. So it's a very different space in terms of making things for it and also the people that are going to be playing it and what kind of things they want. It's almost like mobile's more towards that, I hate using this term, but a casual gamer. Yeah, I, well... I would say it has a lot more casual games on it. There's certainly some things that are for more gamery games, like some things that have the kind of Steam or console vibe, like Infinity Blade was a big one years back that hooked that demographic. But yeah, for sure, in general, I'd say it's a lot more casual and then there are a lot of businesses made around just pumping out like small games and trying to accrue bigger success over multiple titles rather than like the Steam model, which might be making one game really good and big and expanding it kind of thing. That's a really interesting point of view. I do have a follow-up to that, but I'm just like, I'm waiting for it to come to me and actually something articulate. I, I find when I'm going on the rant, like answering this question it just branches all over the place and then I forget where it started like I've gone through this labyrinth of thoughts yeah that's why I'm taking notes <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm like art making into game I'm like great note there what did that mean <laughs> art making into game yes yep. that was probably related to your question probably about I start with you oh maybe I'll speak to that a bit more okay so I think when people start with art to make a game prototype and use art to drive it, it's actually really obvious in some situations because games need to be driven by mechanics. Like, for instance, I saw a claymation platformer 
some gifs of it do the rounds a while back and the animations were all timed to oh sorry the the movement pace the jumping and walking was all timed to the animations and the animations were really slow and when you get when you drive it by art you end up with um mechanics that aren't optimized like a control scheme can really feel very uh, clunky or floaty if you're starting with art and then working backwards for as um, also programmers often I find in my experience start with mechanics and don't consider art at all it definitely needs some sort of unison because uh, when you go the full other way you end up with a really dry product that's just mechanically fun maybe but it has no conceptual or artistic narrative to tie all the pieces together I think you need to do it all in unison to some extent but you can approach it from different angles to get you started so do you find with twice different that it balances out seeing as you got one artist and one programmer yeah I think so I originally went to Matt at least for the first game I went to Matt with the pitch of sort of the conceptual thing that I wanted to do and a vague style in mind. But I think, yeah, it depends on your situation. It's much easier to design a game with two people than it is with three even or four is, would just be insane in my mind. I mean, people design a game with four, but, <laughs> but I find it, it gets pretty inefficient I like the I like the two person dynamic where you can just bounce ideas back and forth and really efficiently come to conclusions. It's easy to make a decision when you've only got two people to agree instead of four or ten. Oh, totally! It's even easier when it's just you. So <laughs> you don't have to discuss these things with yourself. Yeah, yeah. You just do it and then tell yourself off for being wrong or, or not wrong, but leading yourself down a crazy path that wasted a lot of time. So do you try to change your art style across all your different games that you produce? Like you've gone, oh, well, I've done a 3D art style, so I'm going to try and push it to something new. Yeah, for sure. Actually, that was the first 3D game that I made art for. I have historically been fully 2D. I've mostly worked at studios so or, or freelanced, so most of it's just... If it's not they have a style already, it's me trying to work in with the content they want. So doing anything from like zombie games or military games to like anthropomorphic animals in a sort of fantastical Disney situation or super cute cartoony little characters based on fruit kind of thing. Like just all sorts of cover all the gamut. I guess that's one of my strengths is being quite versatile. So how does working in a studio compare to working for yourself? Is it a bit of a load off your mind or more intense in other ways? It's definitely less risk, but also less reward. So working for yourself, I tend to get into a bit of a workaholic kind of mode, which is probably ultimately pretty exciting. I definitely find I'm more sane working for a studio, but it's also that thing of like feeling like you don't have as much agency sometimes. It depends what position you're in at the studio, like how much creative freedom or yeah effect you can have on the product. But yeah, I tend to do, I've been doing some contracts, 
contract work this year, which is in this particular job, um, it's app development and game development and it's sort of working for clients. So I've been able to touch maybe three or four projects, different projects with completely different art styles or some are even just UI because it's apps. Yeah, so there's a lot more variety in, in that than being focused in on one particular thing in an indie studio as you might be if you're afforded the luxury of being able to do it full time. Yeah, I don't know. I like the variety. I feel like I always kind of want to be doing multiple things just to keep it fresh because you do really burn out if you're hammering one thing like to your own, I guess, well, that's the art of work-life balance to your own detriment. I'm the one responsible if my game, you know, isn't being updated or needs some sort of urgent patch or whatever you've got to wear all the hats for this one game kind of thing so you're on call for absolutely everything yeah pretty much and then sort of the standard that you set for yourself defines I guess how it affects you emotionally as well some in some ways so like if you hold yourself to a really high standard and you feel like you need to keep pumping out work for the user base that may or may not be there, then I, I guess my personal tendency is to neglect other things at the cost of doing that. So it's a balance. Like it's always trying to juggle what's best for you and what's best for your career and what's best for your passions. And that balancing act seems prevalent in all artists and designers and anyone I know in this sort of field it's like oh yeah I wasn't I was up till 4am working on this because I had this moment of creative inspiration or something like that and just for a moment their life is neglected while they sort of follow this passion yeah definitely it's easy to get carried away like that when you get into the flow state and you're really enjoying what you're doing and you said earlier you've sort of got a few prototypes going around that you're taking to GDC. Is that sort of where you are at the moment in this flow state of just ideas? When I've got a few projects on the go, I'll sort of just tackle whichever I feel like tackling. I think this year I've wanted to pace things a bit more, so be able to explore multiple projects in a sort of like a lighter way, like give it a day a week or something like that. It's just easing off a bit because we got really burnt out by the end of last year. And, yeah, we will be taking stuff to show to people at GDC just very casually, though, sort of like fellow developers, see what they think, and then, yeah, take it from there. You guys seem very proactive in the community for getting feedback because I met you at PAX. So is there many other events that you go to for this kind of thing? Yeah, so in Melbourne, there's a monthly event for game developers, which is the IGDA Melbourne chapter, which meets, I think, the second Tuesday of each month. And also, I, when I'm not working full-time equivalent, organise a game developer lunch meet in uh, sort of my neighbourhood in Melbourne. And I just started that when I was... I guess last year when I was freelancing and, or not freelancing, sorry, when I was working on Bounce House because I just needed to put that 
break in the work day where I got out and got some social contact because that is another one of the big benefits of working in a studio is actually having people around to talk to. Not shut up in your bedroom or wherever yeah. you do your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So in um, the garage sometimes. But that's where you work. <laughs> sometimes I've got a conf- yeah I've got my desktop in the garage actually. <laughs> it's set up because um, I don't have a car so. <laughs> So does that, is that sort of conducive to a good work environment or not so much? I think it's pretty good. Like I've got a standing desk that's uh, got a motor in it so I can press some buttons and adjust its height and mix and match. I'd say it's pretty good. I guess so going back to you talking about your social lunches and things like that, do you want to share all your internet social media contact details so everyone can follow you and what you're up to and what happens while you're at GDC? Oh, yeah. So my Twitter is at sboxel, S-B-O-X-L-E. And, yeah, I'll be tweeting about things as long as my US SIM card has data this year. Last year I got there and T-Mobile let me down. But, yeah, no, I'll be on the internet. That's probably the main place I'll be making noise. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been really interesting hearing about everything that you've got going on. Oh, thanks for talking to me. As we're wrapping up this episode, I'd like to say thank you to the Indie Games Room for their support. Expressions of interest are currently open, so if you'd like more information, you can check them out at theindiegamesroom.com or get the latest news at Indie Games Room on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me, I'm Kinda Dorky Fun on Twitter or Kinda Dorky Fun Times on YouTube and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to In Development and remember to subscribe wherever you're listening so you can catch all the episodes. Bye!